Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. You may have noticed that every few weeks on our podcast, we'll have an episode that features a classic text from the Christian tradition. So far, we've heard from Thomas Merton, Julian of Norwich, Father Vincent McNabb. A few weeks ago, I got an idea to do something a little different. I got in touch with the Reverend Dr. Ephraim Radner, who is known as a theologian, but less well known as a violinist. And I asked him for a reading of a different kind. I asked him to play some classical texts on the violin, and he kindly obliged. So today, we are going to hear a mini-concert from his home. What follows is both a personal meditation and a sampling of some pieces of music that have spoken to Ephraim at different points in his life, and especially at notable moments of discipleship. So we're going to hear actually several classic texts today. And though Ephraim doesn't play the full versions of these pieces for us here, you can find the titles in the show notes. Some of the things we'll hear are familiar, some are explicitly religious, some are not, but each one has served for him as an entry point into the worship of God, and I dare say to many of us as well. Or these pieces have served simply as a reminder of his presence. We hope this will be enjoyable, encouraging, that maybe you'll discover some new music you've never heard of before. And we especially hope that it'll be enjoyable and encouraging to those of us, which is many of us, who haven't heard live music in a long time.
I've always loved music. As a child, I would sit on the floor and listen to vinyl LPs for hours on end. Classical music, folk songs, whatever I could get my hands on. I started studying piano and violin as a child and became quite serious on the violin. I thought I might become a professional even. I got into Juilliard, but barely lasted out of the gates. I realized very quickly I didn't have the capacity or the competitive spirit for that kind of life. Besides which, I got the religious bug. But I do still play the violin, mostly for myself. Though I suppose not really for myself, because it's for myself and God. Music, for me, in the end, is a kind of prayer. And playing it is, more than anything, praying. When I first became a Christian as a young teenager, I did my best to memorize hymns, mostly from the old 1940 Episcopal hymnal. And I would sing them as I walked my two miles to school. That was prayer for me. And everything bound up in my fretful and bursting adolescent heart poured out on those walks and in those quiet hymns. This is one of the first songs I ever memorized, Praise to the Lord. If there is a point of contact between God and human beings, to use Emil Brunner's debated phrase, it must be the human soul. God makes the soul, God tends it, takes it, judges it, saves it. Our soul has God's fingerprints all over it. And our souls are always talking, whether we know it or not. And when they're talking, they're always talking to God whether we realize it or not, which makes it all so important. And maybe music is how the soul speaks, for better or worse. Music as prayer is a very common idea, I realize. Luther famously put music right next to theology in importance. Music makes people better, he said, kinder, more faithful. Music drives the devil away, just like the scripture verses can do and not just liturgical music, any music. Luther pillaged the music of the street and the fields and put it to Christian use because music itself, he thought, constituted a kind of connection with God. Now, he was very careful, of course, and he changed the texts and so on. Still, these kinds of folk songs are all over the Lutheran hymn tradition. Here's a secular song, originally written about leaving behind a lover. It's still sung with many different Christian texts, including O Food to Pilgrims Given, amongst Anglicans, under the tune name of Innsbruck. Thank you. 
any music is God revealing somehow. And for all his horrendous anti-Semitism, maybe Luther was closer to Jewish spiritual life in this regard than any of his contemporaries. In certain strands of Hasidic Judaism, melodies are seen as divinely revealed, given to holy people. And when you sing these melodies, nigunim, without words even, just the tunes, they are places where God shows himself to us and where we are exposed to him. Some have even thought that the whole universe is founded on certain divine melodies. There were 10 of them in some views. I sometimes wonder if Rousseau was right in any case when he argued that the first human language was music, not words. Words came later. So in Eden then, the first sounds made by Adam and Eve were melodies. After all, when wisdom rejoices before God at creation, as we hear in the eighth chapter of Proverbs, the word rejoice is a musical word. It's what you do when you play an instrument, for instance. So the human soul that God makes sings before anything else. That makes sense to me. After all, Jesus sang, the soul who is above all souls. Here is a Jewish Yiddish nigun for the prayer Mode Ani. It's a prayer one says every day on waking up, thanking God for restoring your life, remaking your soul, as it were, after the nightly sleep of death. That is, when the soul is created, the soul sings. We want to make sure you don't forget to renew or start your annual subscription to the Episcopal Musician's Handbook. This is the essential tool for clergy and church musicians. This book is a huge help for planning liturgy year-round. It includes hymn selections that fit the propers of the day, including all major feasts, a complete index of the service music in the hymnal 1982, tips for musicians who are new to the Episcopal Church, plus reference pages for planning music for special services, including holy baptism, confirmation, weddings, ordinations, church dedications, and more. And we've just added activities for introducing children to music and worship. You can order or renew your subscription by going to livingchurch.org, clicking on the Products tab, and scrolling down to the Musician's Handbook. I still sing when I walk my few miles each day, and I do it as a form of prayer. 
Of course, I try not to let other pedestrians hear me. But in any case, I, I've been helped by the Hasidic master Nachman of Breslov. He founded an entire movement based in part on a kind of prayerful meditation known as Hitzbodedut or seclusion. Nachman encouraged his followers every day to go off into a forest, say, and simply unburden their soul before God. Say, whatever is on your heart, face to face with your creator, your hopes, laughter, cries, anger, worry. You didn't have to use words. And to this day, his followers in the Breslov movement use music to do this. It can be improvised or composed, but it's all a kind of charismatic outflowing of the soul. And of course, Christians have done this too. We can think of Hildegard of Bingen in the Middle Ages, or that high point of Christian soul speak in 19th century America, the so-called white and African-American spirituals. The name is not an accident. These spirituals emerged not just from some similar musical sources, which they did, but they came from the common human soul speaking to God, common by definition. Now, there are some tools one could use for reconciliation in our day. Anyway, here's a spiritual, a kind of evangelical hitpodedut. Are there anybody here like Mary a-weeping or like Peter a-sinking? Call to my Jesus and he'll draw nigh. Glory, glory. The sung prayer that is is a revelation. It's glory. It isn't just overtly religious music, though, that constitutes soul speak. The classical music that I was trained in, for instance, with all of its strict harmonic, structural, and stylistic forms, provides a kind of well-built instrument whose playing and bending as it's played or sung is no different than the melodic cries from the heart of the Israelites, or so I think. So when I play a Telemann Fantasia, it's a telling title, this might as well be Nachman of Breslov himself uttering his nigun, his divine melody.
Let me take another example from classical music just a bit earlier than Telemann. Heinrich Bieber was one of the greatest violinists of his era, a fine composer and a devout Christian Catholic. Bieber wrote a good deal of explicitly church music and his well-known Pasakaya that was printed at the end of a set of violin sonatas illustrating the rosary is frequently performed in our day on the concert stage. But it's nothing but an almost improvisatory spiritual plea building on four notes of a descending scale that is then repeated over and over with more and more expressive overlay. It's a, it's a wonderful prayer that is meant to follow a long meditation on the life of Christ and of Mary. I'll give just the opening of what is overall a 10-minute piece. As I said, I first started praying as a young person with hymns, and I still pray that way, whether I sing them or play them. But Christian hymns are not just individual. They're not just mine to hold to my breast as I take a solitary walk. Even if we do sing them alone, they come from the shared soul that God has created by grace. I'm not sure what to call that. We could to make up a phrase, call it the anima ecclesiae loquans, the soul of the church as she speaks, she utters. In hymn singing, our praying blossoms with the prayers of others, of people, of angels, of the heavenly hosts. And I've always thought that Anglicans have received great gifts and resources here. We have our book of common prayer, but also our common soul speak, you could say. So that when I ask and sing for the Holy Spirit to enter my soul, I'm asking and yearning and hoping for all of us. And I receive God's answer in the souls of others as much as in myself. If we want to get out of ourselves, we make music. That way, God puts us into the prayers of others. And we see him and meet him with them. Here's Ray von Williams's melody for a prayer, originally written by a medieval wandering singer, Come Down, O Love Divine, and centuries and myriads of prayer 
thus are drawn up here in this one melody. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning blog, Covenant, at livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. I'm Amber Noel, your host and I've been glad to be with you. Peace.